Hello, this is One Person Can Make a Difference speaking. My name is Brandon, and I'm going to be the host of this podcast. This is actually going to be my very first podcast, um, so I apologize in advance for any kinks and scratches that need to be sorted out throughout this episode. So before I get started, I'd like to introduce myself a little bit and kind of talk about what my podcast is really going to be focused on and who my target audience is going to be. So like I said, my name is Brandon. I currently work at the MTC in Provo, Utah. Um, right now, currently, as in all the missionaries are not at the MTC, so my wife and I are just enjoying our time to ourselves. We're not at work, of course, but we're comfor- comfortable enough with according to our circumstances that we're not too worried about about jobs. I am an aspiring motivational speaker. I actually want to be the next John, by the way, or Hank Smith, as was probably who's more relevant today. I would like to really be able to reach out and help and inspire youth, young adults, YSAs, missionaries, current full-time pre-missionaries, return missionaries, and so forth, and parents, and other people who are looking for inspiration on how to become better. I also sing, and I play the piano, and I play the organ. I was blessed to be able to play on the tabernacle twice while I was on my mission. Well, once on my mission, and then once shortly after. Um, I was able to sing in many different choirs. I've sang the national anthem in front of my entire campus. So I'm really excited about being able to sing musically and to share my talents with the world. I would like to be a singer. I've auditioned for many different high-sponsored televised programs that I'm not sure if I'm allowed to use over a personal podcast for copyright purposes. However, um, I'm excited for that field as well. Podcasting, I, I've never really thought about doing until recently, but I've noticed that it's been gaining some momentum over the past decade or so, decade or two, and I think it's something that will definitely continue, especially during quarantine and as we kind of keep ourselves social distance from each other. So it'll be interesting to see how things go from there. So I served a mission in um, two different locations over the course of two and a half years. I started off in the Illinois-Chicago mission, and then three months later I went home for five months before finishing my mission in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, I am married. I've been married since September. I was married on 9-19-19 in Nauvoo, Illinois, to my beautiful wife. Um, I really love missionaries, and I love missionary work. I love serving, and I love helping people. And uh, I hope to get a job as a, as a teacher at the MTC if before long. So, um, without further ado, I'd like to just kind of go straight into things. So, right now my focus is going to be on pre-missionaries, missionaries who are trying to go on missions, missionaries who are currently in the field or at the MTC, and missionaries who have just come home, return missionaries and so forth. So that's going to be my kind of target audience right now. Today I'm going to talk more about pre-missionaries and current missionaries, probably not so much RMs, just for this episode. I'm also going to try to focus on having an interview every three or four episodes of my podcast, just to kind of mix things up a little bit. Um, And I think... I'm not sure yet, but I think I want to have a podcast once every 
every two or three weeks, maybe once a month. I think once a month is, is, is a basic minimum for a goal, but as time goes on, it'll be definitely tweakable from there. So yeah, as without, without further ado, I'd like to get started. So first thing I want to talk about today is how your service as a missionary, three different points. I want to talk about how your service as a missionary and your ability to serve is not impacted based on where you're serving or how long you're serving or in what kind of capacity you are serving, if that makes sense. So a lot of you are probably somehow affected by what's going on with the coronavirus, you know, hitting the entire globe at this point. That's, you know, most of you are probably not unfamiliar with what's going on. Um, I could probably say, you know, I, I served in two missions before it was cool, but uh, but you got to understand a lot of people before coronavirus, for reasons, for one reason or another, were able to serve in multiple missions in multiple capacities for different reasons. Um, the ability to go on a mission, go to the MTC, go, go to the mission, and get a mission transfer sometime somewhat some point through is not unheard of and it happens all the time i went home after my mission from being on my mission for three months one thing that really bothers me and i think needs to be made very clear because in the culture of the church we we don't i don't think we, we really understand or appreciate this very much when somebody goes home from their mission and goes back out to another place we often ask, the first thing that comes to mind is, what happened? Or, what did he or she do wrong? Or, what kind of medical thing was, is, what kind of medical thing or problem does this person have? First of all, none of these questions are anyone's business. That's, that's extremely personal, and frankly, if you ask the wrong person, can, is, it can be considered rude. I am very open about talking about what happened to me, and I'm sure as episodes start to come out, I, you know, if I get asked questions, whether it be by people that I'm interviewing or whether it be by fans that are wanting to know, I'll, I'll be more than happy to talk about it. But frankly, that's not what I'm going to focus on today. What happens? What's what's the most likely scenario? that a missionary is going to run into if he or she goes home from their mission early. So I guess my question I really want to ask is how long is a mission? So there is no such thing as a full mission. Does that make sense? There's no such thing as a full mission. Oftentimes in the culture of the church, we associate mission lengths being about two years for an elder or 18 months for a sister. This is a false concept that we need to complete. We need to do away with it and we need to do away with it now. A mission does not equal two years or 18 months. The length of a mission lasts from the second your stake president lays his hands on your head and sets you apart for the full-time for a, as a full-time missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints 
to whatever particular mission you are assigned to. That's when it starts. And the length goes until that stake president or his replacement, or wherever your family moved to stake president, releases you as a missionary. That time is how long a mission is. So for me, that was three months. And then the second time, it was 20 months and one week. A total of 23 and a half months. For a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, who went home from a mission after the MTC, that time was three weeks. For Parley P. Pratt, on and off, it was 25 years. And for Charles A. Callis, who soon became an apostle, who served as a mission president, it was also 25 years. There is no such thing as a full mission. Because really, there's no such thing as going home from your mission early. There is no such thing, I want you to understand, there is no such thing as going home from your mission early. Does that make sense? I am willing to bet, and I would die. I would stake my life on this, what I'm about to say. I would be willing to bet my entire life that you made an agreement with Heavenly Father in the pre-existence about your mission, whether it was going to be in Saudi Arabia, whether it was going to be to die on your mission, whether it was going to be for two years in Utah, I would be willing to bet that you and Heavenly Father had a conversation about what your mission was going to be like, the people that you were going to meet, the things that you were going to have to go through so that you could testify of recovery from whatever those things were to those individual people. The languages that you were going to learn so that somehow what you learned was going to inspire and change the lives of people you met on your mission. I would be willing to bet my life that this was preordained long before your mission, quote-unquote, abruptly ended early, close quote. Because there is no such thing as time. And I say that because in the scriptures, in Alma 42, Alma the Younger is talking to his son, Corianton. And he says, I perceive that there are more things that are on your mind. And he was talking about the resurrection of the dead. And he talks about and he elaborates about how the dead do not all die at once. Is there more than one resurrection? It matters not. For all do not die at once. Neither is it, is it, should it be something along the lines of all do not rise at once either. For all is as one day with God, and time is only measured unto men. You need to understand something. This is very important because you should not suppose that Moroni that Jesus Christ, that Moses, Elias, Elijah, and a few other people that we know about are the only people that, were, have, that have been resurrected. You cannot suppose that they are the only people in the history of mankind that have been resurrected just because they're in the scriptures. Your grandmother did not pass away at the same time that Moses did. Therefore, it stands to reason that your great-great-grandparents who passed away years ago or recently that 
have their temple work done, there is nothing that says that they haven't been resurrected yet. And there is nothing that says that, that, that it has to be when the Savior comes back for the second coming, that that's when they'll be resurrected. You don't know that. We don't know what's going on on the other side. We know enough on how it applies to us. All do not rise at once, neither do all die at once. All is as one day with God. And time is only measured unto men. It's important to understand this because just because somebody you love has passed away and their temple work has been done does not mean that they haven't been resurrected yet. That's important to understand. Now, I want to go on farther, and I want to, I want to go on to say that time is relative. Your missionary service is completely unrelated to how long you serve. It does not take two years for somebody to somehow magically go from a boy to a man without some kind of trial or conflict. When, when you talked to Heavenly Father in the pre-existence, and naturally, you know, none of us remember, if, if anything at all, if some of us might have been lucky, and perhaps it's been revealed to us upon our asking, which I'm, I, I believe is very possible. But for the most part, we do not know what happened and what agreements and what promises we made to Heavenly Father in the pre-existence. And that's why it is imperative that we ask Him through prayer what promises we made that we would do on our missions that we would not forget. I don't think that somewhere along the lines we promised him that we would somehow do everything we can to extend the length of our missions. The length of our mission was predetermined by Heavenly Father. Therefore, it stands to reason that it is impossible to come home from your mission early. Do you really think that Heavenly Father has caused you to break your elbow and go home after 13 months instead of 18 months? Do you really think that he did that to spite you so that you could feel sorry for yourself, so that you could cut off your mission by five months? Do you really think he would do that to you? Do you really think that he would do that so that he could laugh? at the fact that you didn't serve for the same amount of time as what all of your friends served? Do you think that a loving, perfect, just, and merciful being would actually do something like that to you, one of his daughters, one of his sons, one of his children, who he created and wants nothing more than eternal happiness for? If you actually believe this, you have some correction that needs to be done. Heavenly Father does not terminate our missions quote-unquote early or quote-unquote earlier than we had originally anticipated just because. There is always, 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 always a reason why the course that we once thought was how it was going to happen suddenly gets quote-unquote altered. We knew long before our missions were cut off or terminated 
or that we found out that we would be going home earlier than we had originally anticipated. Not that we went home early, but that we went home earlier than we had originally anticipated. We knew in the pre-existence that this was going to happen, and so did God. Is it his fault? Does that make it his fault? No, of course not. You came home from your mission and God knew it was going to happen. And don't think that I'm that I'm not including the people that chose to go home because they didn't want to be out. He knew that too. God's not an imperfect being and he knows everything and everyone. He knew in the pre-existence that you were going to choose to go home after a few weeks, after a year, after a year and a half, or however long you served, it doesn't matter. He knew that that's how long you were going to serve. And therefore, that was the length of your mission that was assigned to you. Therefore, it stands to reason that when you chose to terminate your mission, you also did not come home early. You came home at the exact time that you were designed to come home because God knew it was going to happen. Does that mean that there won't be consequences? Sure, because you made the decision. I'm sure there will be consequences that you might have to deal with and okay, whatever. That does not mean that somehow he's going to hold you at fault, that he's going to ban you down to hell, damn you down to hell, Because you chose to go home. Now, granted, I'm going to say this. It, it does make life difficult. I, I mean, I've seen it happen to a lot of people who choose to go home early, but that's that's a, that's beside the point. I'm going to tell you a story. I had a missionary friend. He was a good friend of mine, and we were companions for three months in Salt Lake City. He, he didn't have a great relationship with his dad. Um, he didn't know him very well. As far as, as far as I know, I don't think he was abusive. I just, I just know he had some, he was a little disconnected from the rest of the family. His mom, on the other hand, he was very, very, very well acquainted with. He loved her to death and, um, and he was a twin. So I'm not going to disclose his name, but he came out on his mission and then, Hey, he started having some dreams and stuff about his dad. I don't want to go into specifics, but he started to realize that, um, it was his dad's time to go. So he, so he prayed, and he told me, Father, if it's his time to go, I give you permission to take him. So a week later, he gets a phone call, right? He gets a, he gets a phone call, finds out his dad passed away. Now, this was an interesting story because um, he didn't know him very well, and it, it wasn't really technically his place, whether it was to give permission or not, but I think he did so in humility because he actually wanted to express his humility to Heavenly Father and show him that he's not going to try to push Heavenly Father and, or nor try to compel him to keep his dad on the earth longer than he needed him to be here. I think that was very noble, a very noble thing to do. Now, about 15 or 16 months later or so, um, actually, it's probably like 18 months later, I remember I remember watching in sacrament meeting. This it was, it was about a month or so, probably three or four months after we were no longer companions. Um, he got a phone call from the mission president. The APs actually came in uh, to our sacrament meeting, and uh, they kind of pulled him out. And they had broke the news to him that his mother had passed away. Now, that was hard for him. That was really hard. Um, most missionaries in this situation, after being out for 18 months, from an elder's perspective, I should add, 
would probably choose to go home. They would probably choose to go home because, you know, it was his mother we're talking about. You know, he, ha he he's an elder, and the priest said he can go home, bury his mom, and dedicate her grave, you know, and, and, and kind of help things out. And I'm going to say this right now. If a missionary is going through something like this, and they choose to go home, that is not their fault. And I do not think God will hold them accountable if they chose to terminate the rest of their mission, the quote-unquote rest of their mission, so that they can go home for family matters. Therefore, the length of their mission would have been the exact same as anyone else's. The time that they're from the time that their their stake president put his hands on their head to the time he was released. That's the length of their mission, just like it is for anybody else. It's the same for everyone. You get set apart by your stake president, and you get released by a stake president. That is a mission. That's how long it is. It's from however long point A goes until point B. Now. The end of the story, it's really not, there's, it's really powerful, and I'm not sure I could do it. I mean, both my parents are alive. I'm 26. I don't know what, what, I was 23, I think. Well, yeah, I was 23 when I got off my mission. This elder, I think he was 21. He went on his mission at 19 or at 20, I think. He was 19 or 20. He had both of his parents still alive. At 21 years old, he was four to six months away from coming back from his mission and he was an orphan. 21 years old, he was an orphan. He had a twin, but he was an orphan. Now, I remember talking to him, and naturally every missionary in the mission wanted to talk to him, so I, I did my best to try to give him space until I felt it was a good time to talk to him. I went up to him and I asked him, I said, Elder, I'm just, just out of curiosity, are you, are you, are you going to stay here or are you going to go back and deal with your family? He said, well, elder, elder, um, there's, there's nothing here. There's nothing home for me anymore. So there's no point to go back. I might as well just finish my mission. And I thought about that. I really did. I'm just like, man, his siblings don't live in his siblings. They don't live in the same city as parents live. You know, his mom lived, his mom lived all by herself, I think. And there was nobody else there. And so he's just like, there's nothing home for me anymore. Why do I need to go back there? I might as well finish my mission. I thought it was very noble of him. He, he decided that he was going to finish his mission because he knew that's what he needed to do and that's what the Lord wanted him to do. And of course, in the pre-existence, like I said, very same conclusion. He and the Lord both knew that's the decision he made and that's why it was part of his mission, was to go through that as a missionary away from home and not being there for his family. It was really rough on him. It was really rough on him. But he pulled through. And I'm so proud of him. Like, I, words can't begin to describe. So, every missionary has a circumstance that's different. I get that. But you got to understand, the length of your mission is extremely, extremely arbitrary. I, it makes me cringe when I see a missionary feel sorry for themselves. Because, for one reason or another, they went home from their mission before they thought they were going to go home. It's like, your mission was a full mission. I mean, it's not real. There's no such thing as a full mission. Like I said, Parley P. Pratt served for 25 years as a missionary. Charles A. Callis, 25 years. You know, and, 
it really when it when it comes down to it you your your the length of how long you serve is is no one's gonna care a thousand years from now no one's gonna care even fifty years from now it it's just it's not gonna matter so I just hope you think about that as as you as you serve your missions so the second thing I want to talk about is your ability to be successful as a missionary. I was going to talk about some other things too, but I think this is the one I want to talk about next. So I've, in the mission field, wrongfully, by the way, wrongfully, the mission field has this fixation, this focus on numbers. And uh, that is a false concept and principle that needs to change. It needs to be removed immediately. When I become a teacher at the MTC, I'm going to make sure that every missionary that comes through my class understands the concept of actually living, loving, and serving before focusing on results. Results is nothing. And, I, and I'm not kidding. If you, you could get 100 baptisms on your mission, and there's missionaries that have. I mean, I, I've heard of one. is Elder Ricciardi. I'm sure the Ricciardi letter is, is all over the place. I have a copy of it, too. If you want to email me, I can send it to you. Elder Ricciardi, he got over 100 baptisms on his mission. Great guy. But you yourself could get 100 baptisms on your mission. And if your focus is on numbers, after a year without fellowship, they're gone. Forget it. What was the point? You, you, there's no point in focusing on numbers because you're not thinking about them as a person. You're thinking about numbers. We could, President Uchtdorf, Elder Uchtdorf said it himself. We could baptize the entire world. And if they don't have fellowship, if they don't have a testimony, then it was for nothing. We have people that have joined the church because of welfare. There's somebody in my home ward that just joined the church so that she can get free welfare. You got to understand when when you're preaching to missionary, when new missionaries are preaching, to people, potential investigators, investigators and, and not less actives alike. You gotta understand, if they're not ready, there is no harm in dropping them. There is nothing wrong with dropping a person who's not ready. Your purpose as a missionary is to invite others to come unto Christ by helping them receive, by helping them, not giving to them, by not forcing them. Not by planting it and sticking it down their throat. Not by getting numbers. By helping them receive the gospel. The principles and ordinances of the gospel, which are faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, repentance, baptism, the gift, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end. That is your purpose as a missionary, and I'm sure the MTC, if they haven't already... If you're currently there, they, they should have drilled it into you by now because that's important. Numbers nowhere show up in your purpose as a missionary. It is not by baptizing every single person. Yes, that would be nice if it was done the right way, but your purpose is to help people and invite people to come unto Christ. I'm going to tell you, Results are not a reflection on your service as a missionary. Does that make sense? If you serve in a mission 
where it's high baptizing and you yourself have zero baptisms for the entire process of time that you are out there, whether it be three weeks, three years, or 30 years for crying out loud. If you see zero baptisms, that is by no means a reflection on your ability to serve as a missionary or how much you you did or what you did or who you helped. The reason why this is true is because if results were, in fact, a, a direct reflection on, on your efforts and your labors and your work, then Abinadi would have seen a lot different kind of result than what happened to him. You know, scholars believe, and many Book of Mormon scholars agree, that Abinadi is the reason that the Nephite nation survived an extra five centuries. It all goes back to his willingness to serve the Lord and do what the Father asked him to do. If we were basing everyone and their and their missionary work off of what the results that came from what they did, we would look at Abinadi and say, you're a horrible missionary. You didn't do anything. When in fact, it was quite the contrary, because in retrospect, we can look back, take a step back, and look at the entire bigger picture and see that it was because of what Abinadi did, not not what happened to him afterwards, but it was because of what he did that Alma, the elder, was inspired on the words and testimony alone of what Abinadi said to start a church, patterned after the Church of Jesus Christ, which eventually, of course, the Lord would come down and instruct him, but on the words of Abinadi alone, baptized 200 souls in the water of Mormon, plus 200 or more at least, Hundreds of souls in the waters of Mormon in Mosiah chapter 18. I have a question for you. Just think about this. How many missionaries, how many people were inspired and became missionaries as a result of Abinadi before he was burned at the stake? I have another question. How many missionaries, how many people got baptized? How many baptisms did, did Abinadi get from the time he started preaching? At least what we have recorded in the Book of Mormon. How many baptisms did Abinadi actually get from the time he started until the time he burned at the stake? How many people got baptized by him? How many people were inspired and decided to bear their testimony that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, because of Abinadi and before he was burned at the stake? Zero. Zero, zero, zero. If we took today's focus on numbers and applied them to Abinadi's day, on him specifically, we would call Abinadi a total failure. And that's why the mission, the current missionaries and the mission's agenda to focus on numbers is extremely skewed and needs to go. It is not helping people come unto Christ. It is only causing stagnation and it is only causing people to lose their focus on what really matters.
your purpose as a missionary is to invite others to come unto Christ, to fellowship with them, to be there for them, to literally be a reflection of Jesus Christ. There's going to be wards out there that look at you for an example. You're 19, 18, 20-year-old youngsters. I mean, I, you're, you guys are so young. I was one of the, I, I was there. I was in that position literally what it feels like yesterday. Apparently, it was two and a half years ago that it, it feels like it was just yesterday. And people looked at me as though I somehow was this this representation of an entire church. Do you realize, if you haven't already, you will, the weight and the burden that comes with such a feeling. People look at you for an example. Your conduct, Alma 39.11, remember this scripture always. Your conduct is going to be way more important and way more effective as a missionary than your ability to baptize, than your ability to preach, than your ability to bear your testimony with words. Because your conduct is bearing your testimony with actions. Alma 39.11 Behold, when they saw your conduct, they would not believe in my words. You can look that up if you'd like. Alma the Younger, speaking to his son, Corianton. Behold, when they saw your conduct, the Zoramites would not believe in my words. I have a question for you. Do you have missionary companions? Do you have missionaries in your district? Maybe an older sibling that served? Do you have missionaries that are acting in a way that if your investigator was watching, you would get very uncomfortable with the situation or circumstance. Better yet, are you acting? Is there something that you're doing that if these investigators were somehow able to see, if they saw what you were doing, Whenever you're doing this, would they actually have a different opinion on the church based on what they saw you doing? That's a hard question to answer. It really is. But if you were truly honest with yourself, if you were truly honest with the Lord, and if you really could honestly tell yourself that I, Elder Smith, or Elder Neural, or whatever your name is, or Sister... Jones, I, Elder Smith, am doing everything I can. I am honoring my priesthood. I am reading the scriptures, and I am living as though my investigators are living with me right now, watching what I'm doing, watching me pray as an example on how they should pray, reading the scriptures as an example on what they ought to do to feed their spirit, going to church on time, going to dinner appointments on time, doing things as a reflection on what a disciple of Christ actually does and is.
where your heart is, there will your conduct be also. Behold, when they saw your conduct, they would believe in my words. The same applies to both. If you are a disciple of Christ, and if you truly act like a disciple of Christ, and you will be a disciple of Christ, it will show through how people take you seriously. You know, it's kind of funny. My companion and I were goofing off one day in downtown Westchester, which is just a suburb outside of Chicago. I decided to be cute, and it, I have actually noticed a pattern, which I'll get to in a second. I actually changed my accent to a British accent. It was handing out pictures of Jesus Christ, and, you know, I think that week we ended up handing out about 37 Book of Mormons, and that was that was pretty great. I mean, I, I, I thought it was normal because there's a lot of people, and you can just hand them out, and with as many tourists as you get, it's hard to get appointments, so handing out Book of Mormons was really our focus. And it is the truth. It's the Word of God. And so... It was, it was incredible how many people were so open and willing to accept these kinds of things. And so we're handing out Book of Mormons here and there, and I decided to be funny. You know, I changed my accent to a British accent. I said something along the lines of, Hello, would you like a Book of Mormon? A copy of uh, Picture of Jesus Christ? You know, the eye rolls and the people that walked by me, I could not have counted how many people there were. There were so many people that just walked right past me. I think it's because I wasn't being myself. In retrospect, I can say that now. It was because I was putting on a face and I was making light of sacred things, something that is a mockery and offensive to God. I can say that now, but at that time, I didn't think anything of it. This is what I mean by when they saw your conduct, they would not believe in my words. Because of some simple, goofy thing that I did, a handful of people, about a dozen people, were denied a legitimate opportunity to hear the word of Christ. How do you think that makes them feel? Well, I don't know, but I know how I feel. And I feel horrible about it. Now, does that mean you can play basketball? Absolutely. I'm Pete A. Go play basketball. You know, have fun. Loosen up. This is, you know, I'm not saying that you all need to actually be serious about everything. I'm a millennial. I get it, okay? We see the joke in everything in life. Otherwise, I don't think the whole see them aliens thing wouldn't have happened last September when Area 51 started to become known about where it was. That was that was probably the most hilarious thing ever because it happened the night after I got married. It was hilarious. We all loved it. We all jumped in on it. I'm not saying that you can't have fun. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you know, mess around once in a while but you got to understand something when you make light of sacred things as i did when you when you say something to the ward about your conduct that is a reflection not only on you not only on your family but on the church that is telling the investigator that missionaries do this or that missionaries can do that and the more casual it looks the less serious they take you just keep that in mind So like I said, your ability to love and be as Christ would be is much more important than the results that you get. If you actually focus on being like Christ, you actually have, in my opinion, a higher chance of seeing results than you would of if you just try to focus on numbers. So keep that in mind. The third thing I'd like to talk about today is... So I started off with 
how long your mission was and that there, there's no such thing as as um, a full mission, right? That time is, 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 is just a joke and that your ability to serve is more important than you serving for an extended period of time or less. There's no such thing as going home for your mission early, all that stuff. Second thing, the results does not reflect how well you served. The third thing I want to talk about is um, a little bit more personal to me, and that's um, why a mission, it, it's, it's about how a mission differs from another. I can't tell you how much it hurts to look at people in the eye and have them look at me and say, I can't serve a service mission. I want to serve a regular mission. Now, there's implications to come with such a statement, and I'll, and I, and I'll give you some more in a second, but think about this. I don't want to serve a service mission. I'd rather serve a regular mission. So, first of all, let's break this down. A service mission, how it's culturally, not how it's culturally, because every mission is, is a service mission. If you, if you want to get technical, every mission is going to have service. You're on a mission of service for the Lord, whether it's, you know, baptizing people or, or, or whatever. But culturally speaking, a service mission is described as something other than going door knocking, going to a, a, a family ward or, or, or a YSA as a missionary with a name tag on set apart with a companion full time who's living at, at, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Other than that, that's what they, what is, what is implied. I, I'm not going to, I don't want to be a service missionary who, who is um, volunteering at the temple or, or doing family history work on the side three days a week or doing church history um, special projects, inputting data, uh, or or working at home, and and my stake president is also my mission president. Or that's what that's what that means. Is that I don't want to do that. I want a regular mission, which also implies. The second part implies okay, a regular mission is going to the temple, getting endowed, getting your mission call, getting on a plane or driving, depending on where you live to the MTC in Provo or the MTC, the other nine or 10 MTCs around the world and, you know, getting set apart as mission and going to the MTC after a period between uh, three and 12 weeks, I think. And, um, and then going out to the field into an area that you've never been to that, that you are somehow set apart for and learning another language or staying in your home country or whatever, that's what's implied by a regular mission. Now, breaking this down even well, that's 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 the specifics. Now let's let's back up a little bit and talk about the real implication behind this. I want to serve I don't want to serve a church service mission. I want to serve a regular mission. That implication generically speaking means that a church service mission is somehow less than that of a quote-unquote regular mission. There are so many things that is false doctrine about such a statement that is so hearsay that I cannot even begin to wrap my head around why somebody would say such a thing. That is an insult. And really, I think 
that's 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 an insult to God. Because you are literally telling him that somehow one mission is greater than another, is more important than another, should be more focused than another, or somehow you're going to learn more or become better than that of another. Do you realize the eternal consequences and weight behind what you are, are saying? I had to hold back from from on my mission from literally because I know if I would have reacted like a baby or a child, this would have made the church look bad, even though this guy was a member. When he said to me, I don't like doing family history work. I just like to stick to missionary work. You know, I could write a book about the things that are wrong with that statement also. You got to understand that I just like to stick to missionary work. I don't do family history work. Are you trying to suggest that the soul of your grandfather who passed away, who's waiting for his temple work on the other side is somehow less important than the soul of this random stranger that you just met across the street? Are you trying to tell me that there's a difference? I don't understand. What does that mean when you say, I don't want, I don't like doing family history work. I let my wife worry about that. I just like to stick to missionary work. What in the world is the difference? When you're helping a soul for somebody that passed away, that by the way, should be more of a a priority because they helped bring you to this earth, your grandparent, your great grandparent, whatever. You're going to focus on somebody across the street and say and suggest or somehow imply that that soul is more important than that of your ancestors. Do you realize the weight, uh, the tremendous amount of patience your ancestors must have to have to deal with some of the things that you're saying about them? You got to understand, these people have been waiting for centuries. They have been desperate. They have been trying to somehow figure out a way for you to get humble enough to stop thinking about your stomach for a change and about your day-to-day things and how and, and, and if the Lions are ever going to win a Super Bowl, just to get a second to ask you if you would be willing to spare a couple of hours of your week out of 178 hours in a week to go to the temple and help them get saved. And you're going to suggest to me that missionary work is somehow different than family history work. You know... I, I try to keep my cool, but this is a subject that is so personal to me that when I hear somebody tell me or try to suggest that family history work and that temple and temple work and that missionary work are somehow different, somehow requires more effort, which, okay, I'm not going to lie, and in and, and, and different categories, there is more effort that's required. I will give you that. But... That somehow that one is going to be rewarded more in the celestial kingdom, that God is going to somehow reward you more for baptizing your Joe Schmo neighbor across the street than he would reward you for baptizing your great great grandfather who's been waiting 300 years to get baptized. That is so far away from the truth that it, that it, that it boggles my mind. You can't honestly sit there and tell me and you, you will never convince me that missionary work is somehow different than family history work. And you will never convince me that it's more important than family history work because it clearly it's, it's not that that's, that's quite frankly, it's not. 
there are uh, of all the people that are living on this wor- on this earth as there's a study that went out only 7% of people that are on this earth make up the amount of people that have ever walked this earth 93% of people that have ever existed are dead at least are they somehow not important because you can't physically see them right in front of you this is literally the only difference like we've had prophets tell us that the spirit world is just like this world it's it's right here it's not like light years away it's it's right here how 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 do you are you just going to neglect their existence because you can't physically see them because you can't physically hold a a celebration you can't have you can't have cookies and brownies and lemonade be, at the at the at the temple because you can't do that because you know like like you would on on our side when there's a a baptism you normally have these kind of refreshments but because you can't have these refreshments when 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 you baptize your great great grandpa that somehow that's less important than your neighbor i'm not saying we shouldn't do missionary work we should that we shouldn't go door knocking that we shouldn't preach repentance i'm not saying we shouldn't do that what i'm suggesting is that there is no little to no interest in doing a blatantly obvious need and fulfilling this need that needs to be done we are in a we are living in 2020 to where somehow we have found ways to speed up god's work faster than a desert can melt ice and yet people seem to think that there's no importance behind family history work. 8%, 5%, I think. 5% of members of the church do their own family history. And most people that even do that are people that index. You know, there. gosh, I, I, I love you guys. I'm, I... This is so hard for me to talk about because I'm so passionate about missionary work, and I and I and I do believe in the term no 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 soul left behind, no child, no person left behind. And when I see the culture of the church prioritize that of a missionary, I get this this vibe that unless you serve in some remote country, learning a different language for an entire quote unquote entire time for two years or 18 months that you somehow did not do what God wanted you to do. And that is such a hearsay. It is so false. It needs to go. It's like saying that free agency is somehow a thing, which it's not. And that's a whole other story, but a church service missionary is not less than a proselyting missionary. Does do I make myself clear? A person who serves in the temple, a person who serves family history, a person who was assigned to clip name tags or to or, or to spend 2 years at the MTC serving food for the missionaries that are going out and about. These are all missionaries we're talking about, not just the ones that leave their house forever for two years or whatever, or three weeks. These are all missionaries. Church service missionaries is an alternate form of service that allows more capacities of people to serve. That is it. And do you really think Heavenly Father is going to reward you more than the person next door 
because he or she, for whatever reason, was unable to serve in a capacity that you were. Do you think you're going to get rewarded more than he is? And if we're going to talk about results, which, I, like I said previously, is a false concept. Let's talk about results anyway, because I, I like to play into this logic. If you're going to focus on results and focus on baptisms and numbers, and you're going to ignore the fact that family history missions are, in fact, the highest baptizing missions in the world, you can't sit there and tell me that that's not important. People say, well, yeah, the St. George, Utah mission is the uh, highest baptizing mission in the world. It's just like, no, it's not. How many missions, how many baptisms did they get? About 44. It's like, I can get that in five minutes. I mean, give me a week. I'll get more than that. How do you do that? It's just like family history. Well, that doesn't count. Well, of course it counts. Are you saying that these people don't count? That their souls don't matter? That their that their ability, that their lives were, were for nothing? Yeah, I'm glad that you have 44 baptisms a year in St. George. You need to keep doing that because that's important. But that's not the highest baptizing mission in the world. The highest baptizing mission in the world, if we're really caring that much about numbers, needs to take into account that family history has by far off-the-charts results when it comes to baptisms and endowments. Highest getting married in the temple mission in the, in the entire world. I could go on, but I'm not because it doesn't matter because results are much less important than how... You're serving the Lord. You're serving the Lord because you love him. Why do we serve the Lord? Because we love him. That's why we do it. We don't do it to see how many baptisms we can get. In fact, many people don't even get baptisms. You know, of all the people that I've helped, I've had many baptisms on my mission because a lot of my mission involved family history work. I've had one person that I helped and he got baptized. It was a rebaptism. Technically, according to church records, that doesn't count because he was already baptized. Did I care? Absolutely not. I was more interested in him actually, his soul. I wanted to make sure he was okay. I wanted to make sure that he was uh, that he got his priesthood restored. That's what my interest was in, not getting a number. And I don't care if it was my baptism or my district leader's baptism. I don't really care. What I cared was that this man was getting the help he needed and that he was on the covenant path towards his towards the celestial kingdom. There's no two roads to the celestial kingdom that are exactly alike. I'm going to tell you that right now. No two roads to the celestial kingdom are exactly alike. The only thing that are the same are the covenants. You make covenants in the temple, you make covenants at baptism, etc., etc. Those are like the only things that are the same. My, my, my path to the celestial kingdom is going to be very different than your path. I'm going to have very different trials than what trials you go through. My parents are divorced. Not everybody has parents that were, but some people some people do. But it's much different than what happened to everybody else. Because even within those categories of divorce and non-divorce, you still have many circumstances of how it happened. You have... You have the whole one spouse cheated on the other. You have the whole they fell out of love with each other because one was in the military. You have, you know, one was so busy focusing on his job or even, heck, his calling that he forgot about his family and his wife left. There's so many things that goes into this that you can't honestly say that, well, yeah, my parents were divorced too, so I understand what you're going through. No, you don't because... I don't understand what you're going through because your parents getting divorced does not mean that somehow you and I are, are, are brothers or best friends because, you know, frankly, that's not how it works. You know, your parents went through a different experience than mine did. And I can tell you that because my parents were very customized and very unique individuals, just like yours are. 
And so it does not necessarily mean that you can relate to somebody just because you have a general thing in common. Although it makes it easier, it's not necessarily the deal breaker or the game changer. So I want to make sure that you guys understand very clearly. If you go home from your mission, you know, quote unquote early, if coronavirus relocates you, which it has for many of you, and it has, and it like, I could honestly say, you know, I, I got relocated missions before it was cool. But anyway, the whole point is it doesn't matter how and why or where you serve. Like, could you like, if you go home because of coronavirus and you have to finish two or three months uh, as a church service missionary, that's just as important as what you were doing. And don't think that for some reason that this is an alter, this is an alternate path to what you promised heavenly father you would do in the preexistence, because I guarantee you it's not, this is not an alternate path. This is the path. If you're doing your best, you will be the missionary that God intended you to become. So I want to close really quick. Um, My mission president once said, and this is I found this to be very true, his name is Jerry D. Fenn. I've had three mission presidents, one in Chicago, two in Salt Lake City. Jerry D. Fenn is Bruce R. McConkie's son-in-law. He married his daughter. So he told me this, and I found it to be very true. It's very important. A mission is a series of disappointing events interrupted by brief moments of amazing joy. A mission is a series of disappointing events Interrupted by brief moments of amazing joy. Uh, when I went on my mission to Chicago, I can tell you this right now. I had no idea what our day was going to look like. I thought I did. I thought we were going to have lessons to teach up the alley. I thought we were going to be contacting like crazy. I thought we were going to be baptizing like crazy. I thought that's what missionaries did. It is. That's what they do. But that's not what our schedule looked like. We had There's 8 million people in Chicago. And we didn't even have one appointment. My first day into the mission field, we planned our day. We had shower, scripture study planned, and then lunch and dinner. That was it. We didn't have any dinner appointments that day. We had to eat from home. I was very shocked. Mission prep didn't teach me that. and (laughs) The MTC doesn't teach you that either. But I learned immediately that a mission was not the roses that I thought it was. Your mission is going to look like this more often than you think. And it's going to be very depressing. You're going to be like, where are all our appointments? Well, we have to get appointments. Well, how do we get appointments? We've got to door knock. we got to go contact. we got to find people on the street. we got to do things. we got to find people. And guess what? Many people are going to say no. And I'm going to tell you, that's going to be really hard. But like President Fenn said, a mission is a series of disappointing events that is interrupted by brief moments of amazing joy. It's not the people that accept the gospel that make it so amazing. It's the people that accept the gospel that follow the thousand people that said no, that makes it so amazing. You realize and you appreciate how amazing the gospel is when you actually finally find that one person that you can share it with, that you can actually teach the restoration to, that you can give a book of Mormon to that will drop you the next day. And yes, that happens. It happens a lot, but it's those moments. And I'm going to tell you that first person that I got to go inside their house for, it was after three weeks. I was so spoiled. 
so spoiled they'll only have to wait three weeks for it. But we had a referral. They finally let us send. It was snowing out, and it was perfect because we went inside, and I'm going to tell you right now, the spirit that came upon me was stronger than that of the spirit when I felt going to the temple for the first time and when I got endowed. It was stronger than the spirit I felt when I got married in the temple. It was that strong. I could feel the power and the mantle of the Lord speaking the words of the restoration to these two people who opened their doors, who are willing to listen, who accepted our Book of Mormon, who dropped my companion three weeks later. But in that moment, it was their chance, and it was the Lord's time to use us as his instruments to teach them what they were ready to learn. Elders and sisters, I need, to, I need you to understand, and I really hope that if you're still listening to this, that you take into account that you're going to do your best on your mission. I know you will because you are you got this far. I know you're not quitters. If you can come this far on your mission, you're not quitters. Do not quit. Do not give up. Do what God wants, but also do not feel like a failure if for some reason you go home early. If for some reason you get relocated missions, if somehow you get you go from wherever you're at to a service mission, I do not want to find out that you said that you were serving less than what you were capable of. I served in what I would consider at the time, pridefully when I was speaking, I served in what I called the easiest mission in the world. My first area, I was putting data into a computer. That's it. I felt like I was free labor for the church. Didn't feel unified with my companion, didn't feel anything. I just felt like free labor. Now, my biggest problem was pride, getting over this and accepting and being content with what God asked me to do. I could have just as easily said, well, I'm going home. But the thing is, you could easily say, oh yeah, I could do that. Well, the thing is, I couldn't. The reason why I couldn't was because this was so easy for me that getting over the fact that there wasn't more to do, the fact that it was so easy was the very thing that made it so difficult. <sighs> Your ability to serve is much greater. Your capacity to extend your reach to missionaries, to, to members and non-members alike, is much greater than you realize. I want you to understand that even if we ourselves, you and me, never meet in person, I know that you are much better than you think you are. You are the light of the world. The Lord has chosen you to serve in this mission, in this specific spot that you have served in, that you have been called. Do not take that lightly. Elders and sisters, for those of you that are listening to this, I implore you to remember who you are. Do not forget your purpose. And remember that when your mission ends... Your mission is never over. Lastly, before I close, I want to add this last story. There was a missionary that was called to serve in Brazil, 
and got relocated and his, and his visa did not clear until two days before he went home. Think about that for a second. He learned Portuguese and spoke English his entire mission. And then his visa cleared right before he went home. Do you really think the Lord didn't know that was going to happen? I might have already said this this podcast, but if I did, then I want to say it again. Are you waiting for a visa? Are you a missionary that's been relocated? Do you really think that an angel is going to walk up to the Heavenly Father, look at him in the eyes, the God of the universe who knows everything, and say to Heavenly Father, did you know that Elder um, Elder Anurul is... Uh, he's supposed to be in Russia, but he's currently serving in Australia, and he... Did you know that he's in the wrong place and needs to be relocated and that he's waiting for... Uh, did you know anything about that? Do you really think Heavenly Father's going to look at him and say, No, I didn't know that. Get him to Russia. What's going on? Get these kids in line. Of course not. He knows what's going on. He knows. He knows how things... He knows. He, he planned for these things to happen. He's not a stranger to these kinds of things. He's perfect. He knows everything. Suggesting that somehow you were called to a different place than what you were actually called to is, is, is completely beyond, beyond, beyond without logic. It's, 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 it's extremely illogical to say that God doesn't know what he's doing. That's what you're saying. By saying that you served in the wrong place is suggesting that God doesn't know what he's doing. And, and that's, and that's just completely unfair. Elders and sisters, I would like to close. Elders and sisters, I love you guys so much. You are literally the light that keeps me sane. You guys and your existence keeps me going. I remember when I served as my as a missionary, I felt a lightning bolt jolt of energy. The surge of happiness from the mantle of having a strong presence on you at all times they carried me through the mission field I would give anything to have that mantle back for just a day but knowing that I can help other missionaries like you it keeps me going for those others and sisters and for those of you that are um, that might be just joining this that might have joined this podcast much later on um, after I'm more well established than this they might have jumped back to the first episode that um, wanted to listen in and see what was going on I wanted to speak to you also and say what an amazing thing you've done to for whatever reason choose to listen to me and give it, give up your time for the things that I have to say you guys need to understand that your worth is much greater than you think it is. Your ability to help and to serve is beyond your capacity of understanding. If only you knew the things that God has in store for you, you would drop everything. You would sell your video games, your cell phone. You would, you would make the money from that what they're worth so that you could give for the sake of glorifying your Father, which is in heaven. (sighs) 
there's going to be a point in your lives, and I'm going to tell you this right now, really got to wrap up, so this is the last thing. <sighs> you cannot serve two masters. You can't set foot in the world. You can't have one foot in fantasy land and the other foot in the real world. You can't do it. You can't do it. But what you can do, you can always serve the same master, regardless of where you're at. And that is something I would encourage you to do. For behold, as Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. For as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I have a long ways to go, and I don't want to make this about me, but I have a long ways to go before becoming the next John, by the way, but... You can follow me on YouTube if you'd like. I'm uh, One Person Can Make a Difference, Opsimad, on YouTube, um, also on this podcast. Um, I, I, I have a Facebook as well, but I haven't gotten that really going much farther yet. But you guys, you guys are great. You can understand. I'm doing this for you. I, and I'm, you know, partially for myself too, but really, if, if I can say something that can help one person, then that's all that matters. Brothers and sisters, I, I bear you my testimony that I know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is real, and I know for a fact that he lives. I know because, because I have seen him in the flesh. I have felt the wounds and the nail prints that are in his hands. And to missionaries and to non-missionaries like, there is no greater, no greater man, no greater love hath, more, hath a man than this, that he should give up his life for his friends. Behold, we are disciples of Jesus Christ. He lives. I know that the Book of Mormon is true. I know that Jesus is the Christ again. And I know that Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. Echoing the words of President Elder Holland's grandfather, who said, No wicked man could write such a book, and no good man would write it unless it were true. And if it was inspired of God to do so. These things are true. I testify of the power of the enabling and the redeeming power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Use it as a means to better yourself, to overcome your weaknesses, and God will bless you in a way that is beyond your capacity of understanding. You think the gospel is great now? Just wait. It gets better and better and better. Embrace it. Allow Jesus Christ to be at the center of your hearts. And your missions will be the best time for and of your lives. 
I say that with power and conviction in the holy and sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen.